0: In today's episode, Dave interviews comedian Paul Gilmartin. Paul has appeared on Comedy Central and is the host of his own podcast, The Mental Illness Happy Hour. I'm Ian Foley, and this is ADD Comedy. Yeah. You know who else was playing ice hockey was DiCarlo. You know DiCarlo, right? played with Mark many times. You, do, you yep. have? Yep. yep. Yeah, he was sitting in that very chair talking about Oh, yeah? <laughs> talking about And how do, you, how do you know Mark? From here, like, the universe here is so awesome... When I think about how long you and I have known each other for, what, late 80s? Late 80s? 86, 87. 86, 87. And then I came out here in 95, January 95, and I met him. I met Mark DiCarlo through uh, through the comedy world.
1: Yeah.
0: I like him so much. Yeah. He's a mensch. Yeah. He's one of those fucking Chicago people that you go, you got your shit together, and, and he's He's so driven. He's a go-getter, man. He really, really is. I read his book. um, I read his book, and what I love about his book is he knows how to talk to people. Uh He comes in with the idea of, um, you're going to want to talk to me. Whereas I tend to go, um, what are the cues here? And, you, know, you know, look <laughs> right. around and go. Uh, can I get in? Can I get uh-huh. in this way? You know. Right. But DiCarlo just jumps the fuck yeah. right in there. That is the greatest lamp, by the way. It really is. And look at how it matches that. Uh-huh. The curtains. And then my folks got that for their wedding when they got married. Oh, that and is so, great! Isn't that great? It's really great. Uh, it lasted longer than the the marriage, but that's. <laughs> great. That's okay. This podcast we just start. You know, do you, you do start. voiceovers? I used to and then I got dropped by the agent and I travel around so much now that yeah. I don't have time. I just don't have time. You guys such a great voice. I love voiceovers. it. I really love it. I love working, but for some reason I'm I'm unable to I had one agent that was just I just I'm not big on the agent thing. <laughs> Me neither.
1: Dude. Uh it took me so long. It's funny. I fired them like six months before I suppose I needed them the most, which is when I became unemployed. Right. But I don't even care
0: at, at this Isn't point. Isn't interesting that you reach a point where you just go, I don't fucking care? And that's a huge point to reach. The idea that, you know what, all that time that I was looking at it and thinking, this is a big thing, thinking that it was me, mm-hmm. it wasn't me. Right. It's not me.
1: They don't want to do the work. They want to be there when the heat comes onto you so they can take advantage
0: of it. That is exactly it. And I know yeah. a woman that's, that, that, that works with kids. Yeah. And that's what happens with kids is yeah. they come in to her and then immediately these people are glommed up by everybody else and they just run away. And she's like, it hurts her heart. Yeah. Because it's the, other, it's the other side of that. Because yeah. she says, I'm, I'm, I watch these kids. I, I, I hang out with these kids. Um...
1: Are you busy now? The podcast takes up a lot of my time mm-hmm. um, because uh, there's surveys on the website. Right. And, and there's a, a corresponding with listeners and a searching for uh, uh, guests whose story might be fresh from what I haven't heard yet right. on the podcast. Right. Um, so yeah, it keeps me it keeps me so much busier than I ever thought it would be and I, and I at some point want to go to um to more than one episode uh, a week which will greatly increase uh you know the the, the workload but um yeah, uh, it's it's probably 30 hours a week
0: uh <laughs> Isn't that crazy? Yeah. What's really crazy, because I've been listening to a lot of your podcasts, and I've been listening to, and, and what what's really interesting to me is your journey. Your fucking journey. And your journey is huge, because it, it's just as so much, uh, do you consider yourself courageous? Because I look at what you do. Mm-hmm. You, you might be inside of it, and it's hard to do. Mm-hmm. But I'm watching, I'm looking at how courageous you are. And so when something comes up like this, where you go, oh, that job that I had for so many digits of years, I don't have that anymore, and yet you're going, here's the next fucking thing that I've got coming, and I think so many people look at that and go, what am I gonna do, what am I gonna do, what am I gonna do now? I I would be that way if I wasn't sober.
1: Having to get sober nine years ago, I learned a new way of living that um, I had to grasp. I had to grasp it and embrace it because I was going to die if I didn't. Uh-huh. And I learned a valuable lesson in that they – everything is not always as it appears to be. No. No. And, there's, no. and there is positivity everywhere. Right. And if I just engage in that positivity, the universe has a way of taking care of I it.
0: I love it. And uh, Reverend Michael Bernard Beckwith, I don't know if you're familiar with Agape mm. Spiritual Center in Culver City. It's a non denominational I've, I've heard of it. Yeah, yeah, he's great. He's great. And he's, he said this thing that was so awesome. He said, you know, you get, you, a, a challenge gets thrown at you. And he says, okay, this is what I've been doing lately. He said, I've been sitting back and going, oh man, I I cannot wait to see how the universe is going to take care of this one. Yes. And it's such a fucking great thing. Because you go, oh, yeah, right? Because mm-hmm. everything's worked out. Yeah. Your sobriety
1: was part of that fucking journey. It was the beginning of it. It exactly. was the beginning of it because I was trying to control everything before that and getting the results uh, which were... My my God was fame and money and power and I realized I will never be able to get enough of that to satisfy my ego. The ego is a bottomless pit. Right. You know? My first inkling that the ego was a bottomless pit was, I had always thought that I would make it if I if I saw my face on a billboard on Sunset Boulevard. Uh-huh. You know, because that's always you you know you drive around that curve and it's like, bam, you right. see it, and you think, man, if that
0: could just if that could just be me, I could relax. Uh, somebody just had a web, uh, Somebody on Facebook just had it. Uh, Derek Miller said I made it. I was at, yeah. I was working at the the, the uh, what the Maumar, Ma, Ma, what's it called Hotel Marmar what's uh-huh. it called uh, Chateau Mamart. Chate- Ma. I can't remember the name of it. Yeah. because I was working there and I thought one day I'm going to be on a billboard and goes fuck if it if I wasn't on that billboard eight years later so that's yeah. that's what some people that, think that's what that's what I thought
1: and so one year uh, dinner in a movie the show that I was working on uh, put a billboard on Sunset Boulevard and I went and I looked at it and I lost respect for Sunset Boulevard. <laughs> <laughs> and that is the honesty God truth Dave and, and it, you know that thought didn't occur to me right at the time but I went oh it's not really on the right curve the billboard oh, isn't man. it's not the picture right? I would want and I realized oh and this was before I got sober but that was my first inkling that oh there is something inside me that cannot be satisfied and I didn't know what it would be that would ultimately bring me peace right um but that was the first inkling that that was a false kind of thing to to worship. And you know, it's funny people, you know, when, when sometimes people get sober or whatever and somebody will go, oh, "You going to that support group? oh, that's a fucking cult." No, the cult is our media and and the belief that capitalism will fulfill you. Right. I think capitalism is awesome. It brings out great things in people. Mm-hmm. But left to its own devices, Left to run rampant without checks and balances in some other part
0: in your life to enrich your soul, it will destroy you. I think anything can be a problem. Mm -hmm. I think, uh, I think, um, you know, it, it, uh, my philosophy is, uh, let's see, so anything can be an ashtray, you just have to drop your cigarette. You know, Anything can be a toilet, you just have to fucking poop or whatever you're going right. to do. Anything can be a, uh, a parking space, you just got to stop your car. And anything can be a fucking problem. I'm too much, I have too much money, um, the, the billboard's not in the right place, you know. Um, I have too much sex, I'm too, I'm too adored, like all that shit. But the thing is that what you did was, you did a redirect. And that's what I think the, uh, the program helps you do is it, it just takes everything away and says, look, at the end of the day, you're there, you, the concept of you, who are you? And here's, a, here's another thing about you. The story that you tell you, and I think that this is what you're talking about, the story that you tell you about you, that's not your story. Right. That's just a story that you tell you about you. Yep. And I had a huge fucking argument with this woman, and we were going to have an argument anyway, so you might as well have an argument <laughs> about this thing. And it was, she said, "Well, you need your story," and I said, "If you say so, because you don't need your fucking story. Right. All that you need is an awareness of the moment that you're in, at the moment that you're in that moment."
1: Absolutely. Yeah, absolutely. That, that you you put it so so beautifully. That's that's and and. To me, life is just stringing together as many of those moments as possible, but you have to believe that the universe is gonna take care of you, which is an impossible thing at first to trust, because you see war and death and famine and cruelty, and you think, that comes from the universe. How can I trust this thing that has that? But you forget, in the Holocaust, there were moments of beauty oh where somebody God. gave somebody a crust of oh, their bread, oh. where people sang songs, where people came together. Mm-hmm. Everything
0: contains everything, right? Well, well, Gianluca is from Italy, yeah. right? And he's from Italy. And look at what happened to Italy during the war. And how could you? You know, you look at you look at the buildings over there, and you go, "Oh my God, our country is being bombed." And how do you at that moment go, what do you do in that moment to say, you know what, the universe is for me, (laughs) how do you do that? How do you do that? Yeah. Um, But it's really, really true. It's really to look at those things, and you go. There's beauty in all those things, and you have a choice of saying, "Yes, I'm going to engage in that," or "No, I'm not going to engage in that." But you need to be aware of being aware. Mm-hmm. You've got to be aware of being aware. And when and one of the things that gets me about your your podcast, uh, the Mental Illness uh, Happy Hour, right? Mm-hmm. Um, is that question, the, the 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 thing at the end, um, fears, mm-hmm. the fears thing, and listening to so many people's fears and saying and saying, okay, those fears that you have, you're deciding to engage in those fears. Mm-hmm. And, to, and and is your point, is, is your point, because I, I think that it is, to say, once you make them public, then you're acknowledging them, and then you get to deal with them? Because yeah. once you um, once you define it, it exists? Is that is that the point? Once you speak it out loud, it takes the power out of it. Exactly, mm-hmm. exactly, exactly. Because the thought is, and it's one of those things where I was at a party, at um, a birthday party uh, at the Cat and Fiddle. And it's February and I'm standing outside and there's a jazz band playing and I got a vodka in my hand and I got a bunch of people standing around. Seamus McCarthy, you know Seamus? Mm -mm. I'm standing with Seamus. It might have been his birthday. And um, this was about three years ago. And I said out loud, I love L.A. And it was the first time that I ever said that. And he said, what did you say? (laughs) And I said, I love L.A. I fucking love L.A. And it's so interesting that you say once you say it, then it becomes real, mm-hmm. and then you get to deal with it because that's exactly what happened.
1: Yeah. You, you, there's a power when things are just bouncing around your, in your skull, half realized, It that you... If you write it down or you speak it, there's a clarity to it that you can't get when it's kind of a nebulous, gray oh thing going around in your skull
0: and affecting your gut. Right. Right. And that's exactly it. It's the idea of affecting your gut. And I believe that... One thing about thoughts is if you you deal with it in your brain, this mental electronic thing, enough, it becomes a visceral thing that gets into your gut. And it's the realization that I just thought something that gave me the runs. I just thought something Mm -hmm. that gave me the runs. Now, I can eat Chicago-style pizza. I can eat an entire 10-inch thing, and I'm going to get the fucking runs. Mm -hmm. I'm aware of that. Right. And so I'm going to go, how do I avoid that? So here the, the thought is, I'm thinking this thought about whatever the fuck it is, and I'm dwelling on it, and it's making me sick. I'm doing that to me. I'm doing that. And that's I, how powerful thoughts can be. Exactly. Because thoughts are things, and I think that people don't know that thoughts are things. And when you say, well, but, you know, going back to the idea of uh, the universe, you know, how can the universe be all these, you know, how, can it be in, how can it be conspiring in favor of me? Mm-hmm. when all this shitty stuff happens. And I again, listening to the fears that, that folks have on your show, that they say at the end of the show, uh, it's just so intriguing to me because uh, they're all so human. They're so fucking human and it makes you feel less alone to hear somebody else say that stuff. Mm-hmm. But the idea of, you are you aware that you're engaging with that? Because I choose to engage with other things, other thoughts. The thought that my neighbor's aren't aware that their dog's barking all the time. It's not that they're fucking me over. Right, the you person, you know... You're not taking it personally. No, but I, you know, but the first thought is like, what the fuck is wrong? Why are they doing that to me? Right. Nobody's doing that to you. You're right. doing that to you. You're doing that to
1: you. So how... So, But then the question practically becomes, how do I deal with that fucking dog barking? Right. Where, what? What do I have control over? Can I maybe... To go to a cafe to do my work <laughs> right. can I leave a note on their door that says you know uh i 'm not sure if you 're aware of this, but you know maybe you 're out of your apartment when your dog is barking. and that's what 's happening yeah or ma- or maybe you need to call animal control, you know which i 've had to do before oh. and uh, uh, but that 's the last resort focusing on on what you have control over and what you don't and, and it, to me it's like uh it's like emotional triage i'll go i 'll go okay i 'm not going to touch that because that I have no control over that. Right. I have control over this. Let's see what is the most uh, loving way that I can deal with this thing that I have control over. And lots of times, it's not loving w- the way I deal with it. I try to be loving, but lots <laughs> of times, you know, my I, I'm just fucking angry, you know? Hockey is such a great lis- oh litmus test for me. I play hockey a couple of times a week. And you know like when a ref comes up to you and goes you're playing really angry and i'm going to call some penalties on you pretty soon you know that that's like a wake up call when when you get kicked out of a game you know when you're when a your teammates game. oh yeah oh yeah <laughs> um, but that's those are those are also times when i can go wow what is underneath this cuz obviously i'm not upset that somebody didn't pass the puck to me. Mm-hmm. I'm upset that I feel
0: three steps behind the universe in my life. Exactly, exactly, exactly. Now my my feeling about that dog barking yeah. has nothing to do with the fucking dogs. It has nothing to do with the dogs. And I gotta look at that and go, but it's the idea of emo- the emotional triage is such a great phrase because it really is, I am going to deal with this here right now, this thing, and to go, what is it that, that, that's bothering me about that? And for me to say, the fucking dogs, that says it right there. You know, I'm blaming the dogs. But really, you know what's happening is, I'm not able to concentrate on my work. I'm, I'm not able to concentrate on my work. And those dogs it, is what I'm, I'm hitching my pony to the fucking wagon that it's the dogs. Mm-hmm. But you know what? If it were my dogs barking, I wouldn't hear them. <laughs> you know what I mean? Yeah. But it's her fucking dogs barking. Right. And so it bothers me. Yeah. It bothers me.
1: The, the most difficult thing in life I have found is knowing when to make a stand and when to not make a stand. And and I suppose it just comes with uh, experience of of recognizing what you have control over and what you don't have control over. And the other most important thing that I, that I think I've learned is seeing the positivity in everything and realizing that if there wasn't pain, if there wasn't... Horror, then joy and peace and beauty wouldn't feel as joyful, peaceful, and beautiful as it as it does if you if we lived in a world where there was nothing bad, where there were no surprises, you know, bad surprises, and you lived forty years of your life in that, and then somebody came to you and said, "Hey, man, I just entered this other dimension where you can lose your house, <laughs> where your girlfriend can cheat on you, right. where all this other shit can happen." Word
0: would spread and people would line up around the fucking block to experience that. Right, right. Well it's that talking head song about heaven. Heaven is a place or a place a place where nothing nothing ever happens. Yeah you know, and you go, Oh, is that what you want? Right. Is that what you want? And I know uh through your your podcast that you were raised Catholic, right? Mm-hmm. So you've got, do you have a lot of that in your family? People going, you know, I'm not living my life for this moment. I'm living my life for the yes. moment that's going to come. I believe so,
1: yeah. My, my family was never intensely Catholic. My mom still goes to church. My brother still goes to church. But there's lots of issues they break with the, the church on. And we were, you know, we were not like, very devout growing up, we went to church, we did you know we wouldn't eat meat on Friday, that right. kind of stuff, but you know what about was, heaven but what about heaven I, I believed in in heaven as a as a as a child, and in some ways, I believe in in afterlife because I believe that our consciousness is that we are all part of the same thing right um, I kind of have this belief. That you know how stuff gets sucked into a black hole and then it'll it'll explode again. Yes, I believe that that is the heartbeat of the universe and that we are just cells in that huge universe. And we're just, if we ignore that we're part of a larger body, we can either be a cancer cell on that body Mm -hmm. of the universe or we can be a healthy cell that helps clean the body as a whole. And we decide through our attitude what kind of cell we're going to be
0: in the universe connected to humanity. Do you think that it's we decide or do we think that, because I don't know that it's a decision, it is, ultimately is it is a decision, but there's also something about being exposed to the idea that... Um, uh, uh, of awareness, awakenness, mindfulness. Like I don't think anybody's stupid. I think they're mindless. Yes. I. I. Do, so in. So at that choice, they haven't been exposed to that, and because they haven't been exposed to that, they aren't capable of making those choices. That's right. And because they're not capable of making those choices, I can't be fucking. I can be pissed at them. Right. But I am fucking pissed at them, especially now with the, you know, with the election happening and looking at women right. going, really? Yeah. Really? Yes. Really. Or I could go, you know what? Nothing has happened in their life that happened to you, that happened to me, and when I say that, what I mean is an awakening. Yes. These people have not had that awakening. Absolutely. And I cannot be a catalyst to their awakening. I could just live my life and have them look at what it is that I'm doing and use my, li- and, and if they choose to use my life as an example. Mm-hmm. And that's not to, that's to say that I'm, it's not for me to go, and it's really hard to say that sometimes because I don't want to go, aren't I great? Aren't I fucking fantastic? But the thing is, you know what I am at? I'm at peace, man. I'm at peace.
1: And that's that's the best that I think we can hope for is to be a great example for other, be- for other people to be inspired by so that they can wake up and see that there's a spiritual landscape in in the world. And you know, when you know when I use the word spiritual there's a lot of baggage attached to it. You think of people holding crystals or people that talk about ghosts, you know, but what I mean by that is your soul, clearly. That your soul lives in a in a certain space and everybody's soul has its this invisible landscape, but we know it when we feel it. We know it when our soul is moved. We know it when our soul
0: is injured. Well, we see it when, like we were talking about dogs, and we see it when we put our dog down, or our cat down, and we watch this beast suddenly get this medicine within them that poisons them, that releases them from their their physical spirit, and we go, that's not my dog. That's just mm-hmm. the shell that my dog was in. Mm-hmm. And we see that energy. That en- we we see that energy leave the dog. Where does it go? I have no fucking idea. Yeah. But I do know that that there's that spirit, and that's the spirituality that you're talking about. The spirit, the energy. Um, in Hebrew, I believe the, the Hebrew word for wind and spirit is the same thing. Oh, really? Yeah, it's a really great, it's a great ruach is the word. Mm-hmm. So it's the same thing. So you look at that and you go, okay, fine, the wind has left this person. They're in a doldrum or whatever it is. But I know that when I am present and watching my students um, perform, I am up there fucking with them because we are all one. Mm-hmm. And, and, when, and I look at them and I say to them, I know what you're doing, man. I fucking know what you're doing. And you probably look at people that are uh, either... A, a, um, Uh, recovery adjacent Mm -hmm. or neophytes in it or somebody that's in it and having a crisis with it and to look at them and go, I know what you're doing because you are them and they are you and all that we're doing is being at the same time. Mm -hmm. Because your spirit has no concept of the
1: past or the future. Your spirit can only live in the present moment and our culture, I believe, brainwashes us into obsessing about the past and obsessing about the future, and our spirit dies when it can't soak in everything that's around us right. and just be present and not trip out about, "Am I going to be okay?" or "I'm such a piece of shit because I did such and such,"
0: or "Am I going to be rich?" or "Am I going right. to always work?" But it goes back to all those things that you're saying, where you look at the billboard, and your spirit isn't—it does not not—it doesn't die a little. What it does is it goes. My, <laughs> my yeah. goes. Yeah. Okay. Fine. Uh, you'll come yeah. back. I know. Yeah. You'll come back to me. All right. We'll pull over here and get out. <laughs> I'll wait <laughs> exactly. in the car. Exactly. I'll wait in the car. Right.
1: You'll 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 awaken at some point and you'll realize that I'm an, an important part of your consciousness and your you know your body. But that that was you know when I when I quit using drugs and alcohol and I had to find another way of living, I began to realize. Oh, if the spirit. Isn't fed, if it doesn't lead, if its well being isn't the first choice, then my body and my mind begin to suffer because I started going crazy, I started getting Mm. sick, I was losing weight, I wanted to kill myself, all these other things. And then when I learned a new way of living and I started going, well, what's the most loving thing to do here? You know, what's the most trusting thing to do without being a doormat? You know, all of a sudden, I was more relaxed, I had more energy, right. my thoughts were clear, people are like, you seem happier, you seem different, right. boy, you're a better listener than you used to be, all these
0: other things. Right, and it's not just that you were clouded with with, with drugs that made you a, a, a worse listener, it's clouded it's a, with self. Exactly, exactly, and you're looking at that, and, and so... For me, the conversation, or certainly when I'm directing a, a show or when I'm directing an improv show or when I'm watching improv students, it's like, I am sh- I'm listening on a subdermal level. I am listening on a deep tissue level that that if I were to sit here and say, that uh, I've seen that guy in commercials. He, fuck, I bet he works a lot. I <laughs> bet he works a fucking lot. While I'm doing that, fucking diddling in my head, he needs me to be here mm-hmm. to guide him to connect him and he's fucking trusting me and what am i doing judging him mm-hmm. and that doesn't serve and that doesn't serve me and it doesn't serve him yeah
1: you know the ego
0: is a barnacle it will attach itself to anything
1: it will even attach itself to spirituality cuz you know i found myself early in recovery going look how fucking spiritual i am and i was like oh my god <laughs> I left the window open and my fucking ego came exactly, in. Exactly,
0: exactly. And, and the ego, and for me, I look at it, I call it the ego and the personality. Your personality. When you say these kind of things, and I, and I hear people say it all the time, I'm the kind of guy who, it's like, really? You're the kind of guy who does what? Well, how can you be the kind of guy who, don't you have a free spirit or are you that barnacle that you're talking about? Mm-hmm. That weight, that anchor that is your personality is stopping you, if you aren't aware, is stopping you from making other choices that make your life in them that put your life fucking smack dab in this moment. Mm-hmm. You know? But it is that ego and it is that and and we don't I think we don't realize it. And I also think that people think they need something else in order for them to reach that um awakening, mm-hmm. to reach, uh, you know, whatever it's going to be, a what shaman was, or something like that. What was, your, what was your, you know, for me
1: it was uh, having to, fit, you know, look death in the eye and realize I'm going to kill myself if I don't change the way I'm living. What was it for you that, that, that you that you
0: opened up and became this seeking person? It's so awesome because every single thing one would look at and go, and it's the same thing with you, would look at and go, oh, that was a bad thing that happened to you. You know, I, I, all my work dried up. All my fucking work dried up. And, I, uh, and, uh, and then I broke up with this woman who I just fucking didn't understand it. And what ended up happening was, I looked at it and said, oh wait a minute, Wait a minute, the issues here aren't my issues. It's my attitude about those issues. It's my and that reaction just, And that just, to, came, that just came to you. It was also working with... Uh, there was a book that I was reading called... Um, Steve Hagen wrote this book called Buddhism, Plain and Simple. And it's a, it's a little tiny... It's not a pamphlet, but it's a book. And what it did was it brought my improvisation, that idea of being in the moment, mm-hmm. uh, not worrying about where you're going or where you're coming from. It's like, oh, all that shit is the same. And I've been living... All that shit is the same, and I've been living my spiritual life on stage, and thinking that there was a fucking firewall between that and my <laughs> right. my life off stage. Yeah. And when I and then something else happened, Paul. I broke my foot. I broke my foot when I lived in this apartment. I broke my foot. I was um, I've broken up with this girl, and uh, I went to a party, and it was um, uh, one of my <laughs> one of my students for his thirtieth birthday party. He rented out a hall uh, near downtown, and he had a bar mitzvah party for himself. He threw himself a bar mitzvah uh-huh. party. And everybody dressed up nice, and there was a DJ, and uh, they were playing uh, Jump Around. You know the song, Jump, Jump uh-huh. Around, Jump uh-huh. Around? and uh, Which is, by the way, from the group, The House of Pain, uh-huh. which is just so interesting. So I jump up, this woman grabs my shoulders, slams me down to the ground that I'm dancing with. My foot broke, and it was a fucking interesting thing that happened. The moment that my foot broke, I, my first thought was, wow, that happened. I wonder what's gonna happen now. It wasn't I'm fucked, I live alone, I live on the second floor, I I came here by myself, I don't even know what my insurance is going to cover. I didn't think of any of those things. I just thought, wow, I'm gonna live with this right now and be present to the pain that is happening right now and just deal with that fucking pain in that moment. Drove myself here, stumbled upstairs, tried to go to bed, couldn't go to bed, stumbled downstairs, went over to the hospital, parked the car, stumbled out, and all the time going, wow, what's gonna happen? What the fuck is gonna happen? And then what happened was, I'm here, I've got a, ca- a cast, a little cast of my foot, a cast on my foot, whatever, and I'm realizing I need to go into the kitchen in order to get a coffee. So in every step that I'm taking, I'm present to every step. I am not in the kitchen just because I want to be in the kitchen. Do you understand what I mean? Mm-hmm. So it made me aware of every fucking move that I'm doing in my life. And when I broke up with this woman, it was, oh, I, that's, she's not capable of giving me what I want. That's all. And when I thought about how come my career is dried up here, it's like, who the fuck cares? I don't need them to tell me who the fuck I am. That's not my life, and I'm struggling over this one line in a, in a five, five or under, here are your bags, Mr. Reynolds, and I'm pissed off that I didn't get that. Who the fuck cares? You know what I am? An artist. I'm not a fucking struggler. And that was a big realization. Does that make sense? It makes total sense. You know, I I had a moment about,
1: I had been sober I think about a year and a half, two years, and um, actually about three years, and I had broken my foot, Mm -hmm. and I, it was right around Christmas time, a little little after Christmas, and um, I had the stomach flu, like 104 fever. I'm laying on the bathroom floor. I just had a pin put in my ankle, and so it's throbbing and, you know, I'm puking and other things. And the phone rings and my dad has died. Mm-hmm. And it wasn't a shock because, you know, he he had cancer, but those th- three things happening all at once actually made me smile because I went it's okay, right? All of this is okay, you know, even if this pain kills me, it's still okay. Right. It's, and, and I smiled and I realized, if I can be okay in this moment, sweating with my ankle throbbing and my dad having passed away, and be okay, there's nothing that is really going to freak me out. And And that was when I realized... It's okay to trust the universe. Just look for the beauty in certain things. And I remember going back for his funeral, and I've got a cast, and I'm like, I get to get wheeled through the airport. (laughs) And the one that really made me laugh was, I only have to pack one shoe. And I remember just loving that I could see that I only had to pack one shoe. I, I, and, and, and I try to take mm. that attitude into everything that happens in my life.
0: Wait, 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 wait. I want to stop you there. Mm-hmm. You don't try to take that attitude. You take that attitude. Do you understand? Yeah. And the word try, and I'm getting all my students go, fucking get rid of that word. Yeah. You're either but doing But I don't it- always do it. But I don't always do but it. But the thing is that, that, that you, but you're aware of it. I'm aware. You're aware of it. You yeah. can't try to do something. Either you do it or you don't do it. But I understand what you're saying. Yeah. But I think that there's that weasel word saying try. I'm trying to do it. Mm-hmm. You're not trying to do it. You are bringing that into everything that you're doing. It's just sometimes you're aware of it and sometimes you're not. But it's always with you. Yeah. You're not struggling to own it, to get it, to wrap your head around it. Yeah. And you know what? When, when you don't get it and when I don't get it, the first thing that I do is I laugh about it. I go. Oh my God! What a fucking douchebag I was! I was just such a fucking douchebag at that moment to that person who was just fucking trying to help me, or whatever it would be.
1: Mm-hmm. Yeah.
0: But it's also all those things that happen to you. You're aware that they happen. You don't deny that they happen. You're living in the pain that they are. And also, if it wasn't, if it weren't, wasn't, weren't, whatever, for those things, it, you would not have gotten to this deep place that you're at right now yeah and and that's that is one of the
1: most beautiful things in the universe that once you see it, you realize the moment has everything that I need right, exactly. it has every it doesn't have everything that I want, certainly not everything that my ego wants mm-hmm. rarely has everything that my ego wants right but if I just And I think I learned a lot of it from improv. At Second City, use what is given to you. You know, the first six weeks of doing dinner and a movie, I didn't like the comedy that was being done on it. I didn't like the way my partner was responding. And I tried to control it and I made myself sick. And then one day I went, okay, at Second City you learned use what was given to you. So I said, I'm going to use how she reacts, how, what she gives me, and I'm just going to take this other course where I'm going to use it, and I'm going to invite the viewer into being on my side about being annoyed by the choices that she's making. And that's when the show found
0: its voice. The only source of suffering is non-acceptance. Yeah. Boom, that's it. I can fight it, or I can accept it, yeah. and that is awesome. I mean, right there that is awesome it was a It was a big lesson, and you know
1: for somebody that's that, that is listening right now and thinking to themselves, but isn't that going to make me a doormat you know by accepting things it's not accepting things that you it doesn't mean don't speak up for yourself it doesn't mean that you shouldn't put an effort into into doing things, it just means don't get into the insanity of trying to control people places or things oh. that, that you that you can't control right. you know there is still that struggle every day of do I make a stand here? do I let this roll off my back? you know just look at this person as you know uh. a sick child of God, whatever you want to call it <laughs> or. Do I say, hey, I don't like the way you're talking to me, and um, if you continue to talk to me, I'm going to leave the room? Right.
0: Sometimes it's hard to know which one of those, and and I think it just takes trial and error. It does. It also, but you reach a tipping point, and that tipping point is going to be nope, this isn't working. Mm -hmm. I don't want this. I'm not going to eat at this restaurant anymore, uh, so to speak. I'm not going to wear that clothes that that shirt anymore. I'm not going to deal with this person. I'm not going to live in that area anymore. You reach a point where you go, I need. This is the breaking point, point. and I know for all of, for for any artist, any artist is going to know the time that they're done with that piece. Mm-hmm. And I'm looking, going, okay, I'm done. Like I do collages. Like that, you know, these are my collages. Uh, so, oh, those most of great. them are on. Uh, the, most there's a bunch of empty space on the wall because they a, a majority of them are at a gallery uh, right now in Chicago. But I look at it, and I go, when do you know you're done? It's when you know you're done. That's when you know you're done. The same, you know, to walk away, to get up and walk away. The idea of um, it's the same thing where you go, when do I tell that person that I love them for the first time? Boy, oh, that's got to
1: be a hard one, huh?
0: Well, when you do, right?
1: Yeah, I'm, I'm trying to remember when I've been with my wife for 25 years, and I'm trying to remember the first time. It's so long ago. But I, I remember that, ang- that anxiety of, are you going to be the first one?
0: <laughs> are you going to wait for right, that? Right, right. And then you take a chance and you go, oh, my God, I'm so glad I did that. Yeah. I am so glad I did that. And it changes you from that moment forward. The moment that you become awake, everything else changes, and people do see you in a way. It's like, did you cut your hair? Did you get new glasses? Where are your glasses? Didn't you wear glasses? You know, that sort of thing. You go, there's, no.
1: There's a light that comes on in, in your eyes, and, I, and I've seen it with people that get sober, mm-hmm. and they begin to do the, the, the work on themselves and to see you know, their part in things instead of just blaming the world, and they begin to realize that they've been filtered filtering everything through their selfishness and their fear or many things through their selfishness and their fear and once they are able to recognize that they're able to see the world so much more clearly and they're able to relax because they realize everything isn't chaos that there is this weird kind of matrix underneath it this weird kind of order that you know your divining rod is kind of love and positivity and once you begin to realize that you don't feel lost anymore. Clearly,
0: and all that it takes is, anybody that, that wants to do this can do it like right now, can try it right now. Mm-hmm. Like When you go to Pavilions or Ralphs, stand in line and have a, what I call a preemptive smile but that is i'm going to smile at the cashier before mm-hmm. she gets a chance to, to smile at me and i'm going to just go hi i'm smiling at you and she can go i'm taking it oh good 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 but it is about the practice the awareness the mindfulness the presentness to it
1: mm-hmm.
0: it is about that and then everything from that point changes too did you, are you still doing stand up <laughs> I I do a a satirical character. Um, That's about the
1: only live performing that I do. He's a a satire on the the far That's the character that you're talking about. You were talking to uh, Marin about that or somebody? Yes. Yeah. 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 Mm -hmm. Um, But as far as straight stand-up, about two years ago, the work started drying up, and I was really happy. And I thought, um, I'm going to listen to my gut, which is telling me you have something to say that can't really be said in a comedy club. And so um, I didn't pressure my agent, you know, I didn't, wasn't like, you gotta find me work, I was like, it's like I entered into a, a, an agreement with the audience. You don't show an interest in me, and I won't show an interest in you, and we both kept our end of the bargain.
0: <laughs> right, 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 Yeah, you can't pull me back in. But,
1: no, I, but once I started doing the podcast, I realized, oh, this is how I wanted to express that thing inside of me that I couldn't put, quite put my finger on what it was. But it's impossible, or I should say very difficult, to be vulnerable in a comedy club where people are drunk I, I just I have never had some some comics are brave enough to to tread that you know those waters I've never had enough self-confidence to put vulnerable kind of material out there and to have two minutes between punch lines I it's I'm too
0: nervous of. Have you? Did you hear Tig Nagaro? That her. Her. Did you hear her uh, when that day you heard yeah. that podcast, and then she tried to to tell the joke that she was going to tell mm-hmm. about the B on the 405. Do you know about that? I, I read about her set. The set. Um, it's uh, uh, this American Life. Uh, th- had a segment on it, but one of the great things was she said, she comes out and she says, I have cancer. This is it. I've just determined that I have cancer, and I was going to do my my regular set, but I can't, you know, I can't get the idea of, you know, doing a, a, the B-joke and her talking about, like, her mother died and she had cancer and she had this other intestinal problem and she's talking about it and the audience is so fucking uncomfortable but comfortable in the understanding that she's up there bearing her soul, I'm witnessing something that will never fucking happen again and then somebody said, all right, tell the joke. Tell the joke about the bee, and she told the joke about the bee, and it was just such an interesting contrast to say, "What does it that really matters? And is it important that I get that laugh, or is it important that I get that I um, if, if, that I unfold, evolve, that I that I that I transform right in front of this audience right now and say what the fuck I need to say right now, and to have the guts to go, that's all that fucking matters." And you had. Uh, I don't mean to be uh, hyperbolic here, but you had your last stand-up show, Mm -hmm. possibly. Yeah. And there was one day that you went, no, no, no more, no more. Uh, I got divorced after 14 years of marriage. And you go, one day you go, no more, no more. I'm not going to live in dread anymore. As hard as this is going to be, I'm going to make someone... Very fucking unhappy right now. And I'm gonna make someone, all the adjacent people around her fucking unhappy. There's gonna be a bunch of people that aren't gonna understand what the fuck I'm talking to- I'm doing and they're gonna think that I'm crazy. But you know what I realized in that moment? What you think about me is none of my fucking business. Mm-hmm. And at that moment there was this crystal bell went off, and I went, that's what that phrase means. hmm Because you can hear it your entire life and go, no, it matters what my folks you know, it matters what my what, it matters what my boss, it matters. Is like, no, it fucking doesn't matter.
1: And I, I think that one of the most common forms of insanity in, in our society or in the world is trying to live your life preventing other people from being disappointed. <laughs> it is the biggest plate-spinning, juggling, crazy-making endeavor because you can't do it, and... Not only are you not going to keep them from being disappointed, you're going to annoy everybody around you because you're going to be wound so fucking tight and you're never going to be able to say what it is that you think or what it is that you want. Because you're so, because you haven't learned how to express
0: your needs. It was what Dave Holmes was saying on your podcast uh, about you know uh, stating what it is that you want and mm-hmm. saying th- and and sticking up and saying this yeah. isn't going to work. And maybe you said it, or he said it, but yep. it was that where he said that. Yeah. I was thinking that's it, that's it, because you, you, the concept of politeness is such bullshit, and I love somebody said, I know that this is true, but they said, uh, uh, you know, polite is a lie, and it's the beginning of the word politics. And you go, oh, that fucking makes sense. It's a fucking lie. It's a lie. And when we live that, we aren't living the truth, the unfolding, unfurling, evolving that we need to do in order for me to wake up in the morning and to go, Sigh. I'm in charge of no one but my own feelings in this moment. That's all that I'm in charge of. I gotta get the fuck out of bed. And I keep going back to your podcast, the idea of like how many times I've heard you talk about how difficult it was at, one point, at, at, at some point to get out of bed, to, mm. to, to sleep, to take care of yourself, like all that fucking shit. And all that has to do with you being awake, enlightened, alive in that moment to go, I'm not in charge of anybody but giving myself slack. Mm -hmm. and dealing myself with humor and compassion. And also, accepting that I live
1: with mental illness and that it needs to be treated. Exactly. That that, that was another thing, was I had to say, okay, I have to take pills. I've tried every non-pill way of dealing with this, and I I still do all of those things, in addition to taking the pills. You know, try to lead a, a spiritual life, uh-huh, exercise, uh-huh, uh-huh. Uh, diet, right. um, sharing my feelings, going to therapy, right. seeing a psychiatrist, all of right. those things I still do. And I also need to take meds because I've tried about once every two or three years, I will try going off meds. And yeah. it's a fucking disaster. Yeah, it's, yeah. I cry for no reason. I feel glued to my chair, unable to do anything. The joy gets sucked out of everything. It's like it's like a movie goes from uh technicolor to black and white. Right. And uh and so I just go, okay. I I got to be on these, and I hate being beholden to
0: a corporation. I hate that. Especially uh, pharma. Yeah. Yeah. I don't remember you talking about that, the idea, but, but you, you encourage people to stay on their meds or you encourage people to talk to their uh, physician or their, pardon me, their, uh, their, their, their physician, their psychiatrist, whatever you want to say, if you are going to do that, not to do it on your own. Definitely not. Um, a lot of people have um, committed
1: suicide because they go off meds and you forget. It's actually, that was... The impetus to start the podcast was I had gone off my meds. Um, I think it was about three years ago, and started getting really sad. Uh huh. Immediately? Not, no, no. It took five months. That's the thing, right? That's it, and it can take up to six months for the the effects of your depression to come back. So when it didn't happen in the first three months, and I felt great, I thought. I don't need to be on meds. I beat it. So then when the the depression came, I thought, "Oh, this is just my life is shit." <laughs> I need out of this fucking. I need right. out of this life. Right. And, and and I don't I, mean to laugh, but I just oh, no. I get it. Yeah. And uh, and I went, "Oh my god, that's the darkness." It's the darkness that's that's presenting itself to me. It's it, you know, it's shape-shifting. Depression is and addiction is shape-shifting. And so I remembered what it was like to feel that way and to not know that that was falseness, that that was mental illness presenting right. itself as your life is fuck. Right. And so I thought I should do a podcast where we talk about this, where we let people know all the different ways that de- depression and and other forms of you know anxiety and non satisfaction present themselves, and uh, and and. I thought, you know, maybe a couple of people will be able to relate to it. It might be a little too nichey, but it um, doesn't matter. Yeah, I, I was I was amazed how many people were able to relate to it. Even people that don't live with mental illness, I was amazed that they were interested in it. That they that they found it uh,
0: interesting to, to listen to. Um, was you, was your was your your first guest, Janet Varney? It was, yeah. yeah Janet Varney was first guest. And I, I remember listening to that and just, and thinking about how raw you both were. And I don't mean raw, like, inexperienced. I mean, like, raw, like, let's fucking talk about this. Let's break it the fuck open. that's how we talk, talk to each other off- When it wasn't required. But there's certain people that don't have that in their life to know that that's the default, man. That connection that we have with human beings, that's the default. The connection that you have, the honesty that you can have, where somebody's gonna look at you and not go, oh boy, I gotta step away from you. Right. This is uncomfortable. Exactly. To go, I hear you, I know what you're going through, because we all know what that is. We all know the fucking darkness. And the darkness is there for you, and it's what you're talking about earlier. The darkness is there for you to know that there's light. Yeah because if there was not that darkness you wouldn't know that there is that light and it's that And thing. I wouldn't appreciate it. Clearly, yeah. clearly you would not appreciate it. You wouldn't know, oh this is the this is what's possible. Yeah. This is what's here all the time. And, and then I get to be, I get to live in this apartment and I get to, to, to make my own meals and I get to live alone and I get to call my girlfriend when I want to and hang out with her and I, and have these happy people in my life that, that, that I know and I know you know that you're doing this too. I am changing someone's life. And that, and that appreciation isn't an ego thing. It's like I am living on the motherfucking shoulders of Martin DeMott. Of so many teachers that we've had that have opened themselves up and gone and and I remember thinking about Martin and thinking well oh, this guy's so great how come he's not famous right <laughs> you know what I mean and to go you know why because he's not because he doesn't want to be that's how the
1: the, you, you, the universe didn't use him
0: that way no and and he was at peace with that and for me to look at him and go oh, you know if he was such a big thing why wouldn't he I don't know you know go huh and people say to me, I really should, you should, and that fucking should, and somebody once said, don't shoot on yourself, like you should be, you should have your own show, you should have your own sitcom, you should have, blah, blah, blah. it's like, I just don't go there. I fucking don't go there. I'm not compelled to go there. And just because you think mom, you think dad, you think girlfriend, you think ex-girlfriend, that I should go there, I'm not compelled to do it, man. I'm just not compelled. And I am at peace with that which, which I'm doing. That's great. It's crazy, but you're doing the same thing. I enjoy what I do. It, it moves my soul,
1: and, and I feel like it's the purest expression of who I am and what I believe in um, more than any stand-up I've ever done, more than anything I've ever written and the funny thing is, is it makes less money than I've ever made. I made less money last year than I did when I was 15 years old. <laughs> you know? Now, I can sit and stare at that and go, you're, you're poorer than a teenager. I mean, my wife is working, so it's right. not like we're
0: not getting the, the, the mortgage And she's paid. also supro- supporting you. I don't mean financially supporting you. She's because su- through all of this, we really haven't talked about Carla. We, through all this, she has been with you. And you are a blessed motherfucker, and you know that. Yeah, definitely. Definitely. She, when I apologized
1: to her nine years ago, you know, when I could finally see how selfish and and fearful, yeah. Yeah. I could finally see how selfish and fearful and, and angry I was, and that it wasn't, that the world wasn't conspiring against me, you know. And she said, I know you think I stuck around because I have low self-esteem, but I stuck around because I always knew that you'd become the man that you've become. And it blew me away because I was like, wow, she could see something in me that I could never see because I was just, I'm a piece of shit, and I better scramble To fucking get famous, because otherwise I'm never going to be loved by anybody except this woman who I can't really respect
0: because she loves me and I'm a piece of shit. Right. And now how different you look at her with you in terms of that to say, that's my rock. Yeah. That's not my anchor. That's my fucking rock. Yeah. And I, but I can still forget it. I can
1: still get to that place where we'll disagree about something, and I'm dividing half our shit up in right. my head. Sure. I'm like, okay, I'm going to get that. She's going to get that. <laughs> I mean, that, that's where my head goes. I, know. It, it, it's, I it's, know. I I was wired that way for 40 years, and it does not get undone overnight. Um, it's a practice, though. And I'll say, oh, Yo, you've done this before. You split up half your shit in your mind. Thirty seconds after you disagree, this is just another instance of that. And, and then I'll say, "No, this time it's for fucking real. <laughs> this time it's for keeps." How fucking dare she <laughs> want to go to that restaurant again when she knows I hate that restaurant? <laughs> Look at that!
0: Look at that! You know? Look at that! Right? And then I have it's, to laugh when I right. get to that
1: place where I was like, oh, "Okay, it right. was, it was." But that's the thing about about you know mental. Issues is it presents itself so real, right? It's so it's George Lucas has nothing on it, <laughs> and that's what I that's what I try to remember right. is things are not always how they appear
0: immediately. They are not always how they appear. I immediately. I think that, that that right there is just such an important thing to step back from it or to be able to really to, to pull yourself back and go. Now wait a minute, wait a minute before I do anything. Let's really take a look at what this is. It's that dog barking. You know, it's your wife saying, let's go to that restaurant again. It's like, no, 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 that's not what it is. And to say you're sorry, even sometimes when you're not, just to go, I I I need to I need to do a mental sorbet here. Mm-hmm. And that's my way of doing it. Go on, I'm just gonna say this right now. And to be at peace with that fucking thing. Because at the end of the day, that's all that fucking matters. How do you feel about you? Crazy. Okay, that's it. What's in there, right? That's zoomed by. Thanks, buddy. You're welcome. That was fun. It was really fun. What a joy, man. I appreciate it. I I really appreciate it. I appreciate it. Today's episode was sponsored by Modern Drunkard Magazine. For more information, go to www.moderndrunkardmagazine.com. Standing up for your right to get falling down drunk since 1996. Thank you for listening to the ADD Comedy Podcast. For Dave Rosowski. I am Ian Foley, and this is Mama Mel.
2: I was watching a documentary about serial killers on death row the other day. Mainly because it's not Shark Week. But also because I like to watch shows about people doing at least one unspeakable act I'd never do. Because it makes me feel better about myself. They interviewed this one dude awaiting his turn in the hot seat, asking him how he felt about his punishment. He said that since he's been in prison, he's had a lot of time to really study the Bible and is now a born-again Christian. Well, you know what they say, timing is everything. But I say, location, location, location. He follows up his epiphany by explaining that after he's fried, died, and laid to the side, he knows he's going to heaven because taking the lives of human beings for pleasure and stealing a cracker from a restaurant, in the eyes of the Lord, are the exact same sin, and he is forgiven. Now, I myself have stolen many a cracker over the years, but never once after stealing a cracker did I feel like I should probably wrap that cracker up in a tarp and bury it in a deeply wooded area where no one would ever, ever find it. Nor was I ever arrested and only avoided the death penalty by agreeing to tell authorities where I buried the rest of the crackers I've stolen so that those restaurants could recover them and have closure. Yeah, good luck getting past St. Peter with that awesome piece of reasoning, Stabby McStabster. But thanks for the insight. From now on, I'm going to carry crackers with me everywhere I go so that if I do catch the eye of a serial killer, he'll have another option to satisfy his lust for blood.